Um, but as we begin um, our message this morning, I kind of wanted to just ask and begin with this, um, this question of what qualifies true faith? What qualifies it? What are the markers? What is it like? What qualifies true, genuine, sincere faith? Because, you know, as you read this passage, you know, especially if you're reading it as a devotional, it's super easy to just kind of pass through, be like, cool, Jesus healed someone, I hope he can heal me. And that's like, it, it, but a lot of what gives this passage, um, these eight verses, so much of its substance is what's kind of surrounding it and what it's been building from. Um, and that question, what qualifies true faith, is an important one. Um, I, I've shared with the youth this a lot of times. The Gospel of John is very um, foundational for me. It was the first book I ever read on my own. Um, and one of the things that I started to find out, I like, hit the third chapter and the third day I was reading ever. And Jesus just, you would think that someone like Jesus would welcome everyone that receives him positively with just open arms, full on. Um, a lot of times we simplify our message as God is love, Jesus loves us, therefore he would do that. But what's interesting about so much of the beginning part of Jesus' ministry and our understanding about all the different Gospels um, take on the beginning of his ministry is this main idea that Jesus wants to make clear that though it is good to come to him, we must come to him on his terms and not ours. Right? That we cannot infuse and, and take over the narrative and shape Jesus the way we want to shape him based off our culture, our preferences, our lifestyles, our desires, our wishes, right? As Christmas time comes upon us, we have to recognize that Jesus, right, is not Santa Claus. He doesn't, he's not the giver of all the secret desires we want but he is the best gift there is, period, right? And so as we read even this passage, how does this even matter? I thought we were just talking about the official son, right? I want to point you guys, if you guys have that little insert, to chapter 2, um, because even verse 46 of our passage this morning, which says that, so Jesus came again to, to, uh, to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Right after Jesus had made the water wine, and he does this crazy thing where he clears out the temple. I still remember the first time my mom said, did you know that Jesus got angry before? And I was like, really? I never knew Jesus got angry. He got really angry, John. He turned over the tables and everything. I was like, how is that okay for him? Well, it's because he was fighting injustice, and um, that's a whole other sermon. But right after that, in verse 23, and this is what I want to kind of key in on to lure us into our time this morning. It says this. Verse 23 of chapter 2. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That sounds good. That's cool. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. These are some cryptic crazy words. Because he knew all people. Verse 25 and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Let me translate that for y'all. As Jesus is, there's the y'all coming out. As Jesus 
has many fans coming to him, he's being very clear. I don't want fans, I want followers, right? There is a belief in the gospel specifically that Jesus does not trust. That's crazy, right? Usually, like, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, which is 100% true. But there is a belief that even here where people are like, Jesus, I trust you. Do some signs. Jesus is like, you may trust me, but I'm not sure I trust you. That's like, when I start reading that stuff, I'm like, dang, I thought God was love. This seems a little harsh, right? And what is it about these people that Jesus is talking to? It's the people that are at the feast. It's the Jewish. It's his own people in chapter 1, God's covenant people. It's something about their fascination about these signs. Something about this fascination. So that's interesting about that is right after that, like Jesus meta phrase describing all of humanity, I know what is inside all of humanity, everything to the deep core of your heart. We're, we're introduced to Nicodemus, a Jewish teacher of the law, a Pharisee, and we're contrasted with that with a Samaritan woman. Two completely different sides of the coin, right? And as you guys remember, you guys remember what Nicodemus was, was triggered about? Like, what was he asking? He's like, Jesus, I heard about these signs. Interesting, right? Jesus has to tell him the sermon that we heard last week. And then if you fast forward, the Samaritan woman, Jesus calls her out for her sin and then promises her a living water that will always satisfy, redefines the important part about worship. And what is her response? In chapter 4, verse 39, the response of the Samaritan woman is read here. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Um, sidebar, if you guys want to know what youth ministry is about, I would sum it up in verse 42. Um, <laughs> it's no longer because of what we say, for we have heard for ourselves. And it goes on in verse 43, and this is how the tie-in, okay? I'm doing a lot of background. Don't keep tracking with me. Keep fighting. Verse 43, after the two days, he departed for Galilee, okay? He went from Judea to Galilee. That's a long trip. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. What feast are we talking about? The feast all the way back in chapter 2. For they too had gone to the feast. What kind of welcome is this, right? In the same way that Jesus, there's a belief that Jesus does not trust. There's a certain welcome that's superficial. Jesus goes to his own people. And he's saying, I'm going to bring the message of the kingdom and my identity as the Christ to you. And they welcome him only because of the signs. So all this buildup, all this homework for what? That's what leads us into our text this morning, that character number three, what is he going to be like? Will he be fascinated to the point where he loses and makes up Jesus for himself? Or will he be like the Samaritans who had no shot at the kingdom of God and yet because of Jesus coming to them, they start spreading it like wildfire. So character number three. Y'all following so far? Jewish leader Pharisee, Samaritan woman. Who is this royal official? Character number three, verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. Time out, Cana, y'all remember? 
Jesus, the whole point of the, of the wedding banquet was to show that Jesus is doing away with the cleansing, the externals, and, and instead of having us clean ourselves up before God, he's replacing it with overabundant wine, celebration and joy, right? So he comes here, and here's the official. Well, we know about character number three. He's probably working for the Roman government, probably a Jewish Galilean type of character working for Herod, all these different historical things. What is he going to be like? What is he going to be like? All we know so far in verse 46 is his son was ill. Verse 47 says this, When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, if you're tracking, apparently the word had gotten around Cana about this Jesus guy. Okay? He can heal. He can do miraculous signs. So much so that an official working for the Roman government, he hears about it, he has a need, and he just comes. Now, if you're going to slow down and read this text, what's interesting is he says, Jesus, please come down. He, like, it is not a simple task just to travel 25 miles back in that, those days. Okay? Right? It's not as simple as taking the freeway. Like, this is a, Jesus, I need you to come to me and heal my son. And here's the big point. Fascination, fascination contrasted with desperation. Desperation. Right now, this man is in Capernaum. Jesus is at Cana. That's like 25 miles. No cars, no freeways. He's asking Jesus to come. Other translations say he begs Jesus to come because his son is at the point of death. And Jesus' response is so interesting. Verse 48. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, here's where the Texas thing comes in, okay? Um, Pastor Steve gave us eight versions of the you plural last week, okay? One of those is y'all, okay? Every year, someone posts on my timeline on Facebook or something about this southern translation of the Bible, which puts y'all every time that you is plural. I actually think it's really helpful because if you were to read all of the New Testament, Almost all of the yous are plural. So when you're in youth group reading and you were dead in your trespass and sins, you're like, oh, that's me. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's us. It's the corporate assembly. So it would be helpful, biblically, to say y'all, right? Or you guys, or whatever the versions are. So I'm not, I'm not like, you might, every time I do this, people are like, oh, it's just a Texas gimmick. I'm serious. Every time you read the Bible, you is most of the time plural, which makes it that when it's singular, it's very important. And when it's you, you got to remember you're a part of the room, not just you by yourself worshiping Jesus. Okay. So Jesus said to him, right? He said to him, that's singular, you, who is he referring to? The plural you after all this context. Who is he talking to? It's like if you were to come talk to me, you know, I don't know if you have friends like this where their head is just everywhere. You're talking to me, and you just, they just make an observation about something else that has nothing to do with what you're talking about, right? It, that's what this, this feels like right here, that Jesus says, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all won't believe. This guy's like, <laughs> he's like, I thought he was like, Jesus, I have a son, he's ill, are you listening to me? What is Jesus talking about? Who is Jesus talking to? I mean, we did all the homework, right? I think he's talking to the crowds. He is testing this guy. It's interesting. We don't tend to think that Jesus, like, 
I don't think Jesus is testing him to see like something he doesn't know. I think Jesus tests for our benefit sometimes, right? Actually, most of the time. This phrase, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you won't believe is for this man to hear. And, if I, and then for the, for the reader like us as we're reading to also hear. Jesus is saying, I think, officials, offic- a royal official to Herod, are you just like everyone else? Who are you like? Are you like Nicodemus? Are you like the Samaritan woman? Are you coming just to fill this need to see me perform this miracle? Are you team fascination here? Do you have any desire for what I actually came to do, who I am, and what my kingdom is about? And in verse 49, we read, interestingly, just point blank, the official said to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. You guys, like, it's just, this official just, he's like, to be honest, he's like, I don't care about any of that. I just, I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I, I need you to just heal my son. He's about to die. I don't know the last time you and I have been truly desperate in, in our lives. Um, my hunch is that as you get older and wiser and you provide more, the whole goal of life is to never feel, or you're, you're trying to protect yourself from ever feeling truly desperate and lost, right? It's just a human desire. Maslow's needs something, something, okay? Um, but surely there's been a time where you really felt like you had no hope and you needed help. Like, I don't know if what that time is for you. I was trying to think about it. Um, I was going to go with the car battery going out, my dad making fun of me for being a millennial. Um, I've already done that one, I think. There was another time, being, I'll share from Houston, okay? I was supposed to go to a birthday party that started at 7 p.m. It was probably like a 15-minute drive. It was raining. That's chill. That's okay. Um, then it starts raining really hard, and then I notice, oh, look, everyone's stopping on the road. And then I notice that, you know, it's starting to, uh, what we call flooding, <laughs> okay? Um, okay, that's cool. I think I've done this before. I'm like a, a college freshman or something. Um, but it turns out, you know, it gets so bad that you, I, I have to make the decision, will I truck through these several unknown feet of water to go to a birthday party? Um, is the friend worth it? I don't know. Um, should I turn around? A U-turn is not as simple anymore because, you know, well, it turns out that drive turned into a four-hour survival fest because, and this is, uh, this is when uh, Google Maps, I didn't have no smartphone yet. Um, this is MapQuest days. Y'all remember that? You got to print out them instructions. Well, th- it doesn't work because MapQuest is like if you had a plan, that's fine. But if the plans go haywire, you on your own, <laughs> okay? So I had a flip phone. I called my dad. I didn't have no charger. <laughs> I had like 20-some percent. Dad, I'm lost. Oh. I, like, at first, it wasn't even getting any signal. He's like, John, I have to go on MapQuiz online for you and tell you over the phone what to do. I was like, oh, gosh. And I'm trying to figure it all out. And I eventually get on the, praise God for Houston, it's like a big donut. So you get on the one thing, and eventually you'll find somewhere you recognize. I did that, and it was a four-hour drive. I came back home. How was the birthday party? I, I, I didn't go. It's a really desperate time. As a high school, or what is it, freshman in college, I just, I actually, I don't know how legitimately scared for my life was, but that desperation is, is I think, just even a semblance of what this man is talking about. There's a difference between not being able to go to a birthday party and your son's health being at stake. 
But this is the desperation of this man. When's the last time you and I have been desperate? Right? Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Um, so I was trying to figure out how to even do this message today. I wonder if there's anyone in here who is actually in that season where even we're supposed to be super hyped, super happy about Christmas, that you're just not feeling it right now. I wonder if there's someone who's been holding on for so long to the point where they are bankrupt in spirit. And I wanna, I, I feel like God would say that you're blessed. It's interesting to think about that way. For those who, we spend all our lives trying not to get to that place, but blessed are those people. Why is that? Why is it that this man, what brings, what is it about this man's interaction with Jesus? I think it's the desperation. Jesus, just test him. Are you, are you team fan, like, whatever, fascination? This man's just saying, no. Jesus, my son's about to die. Like, heal him. I come to you just... I don't know if he came to him first. I don't know if he came to him last. This is his only shot. He traveled all the way, 25 miles, that's like a day's journey or something, to tell Jesus, please come down to my city, another 25 back, and heal my son. Look at Jesus' reply in verse 50. Go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. Jesus, not only knowing what was in mankind in general, knows what is in this particular official. By grace, grants him the deepest desire in his moment of desperation at his very word. I love that Jesus can just speak things to be. It should remind us, and I think that the official probably being a Galilean should have at least known the Torah generally. He probably can trace that the only one in the entire universe that can speak things to be is the one who created it. And the word, in the beginning was the word. And the same God who said, let there be light. And there was. Jesus says, go, your son will be healed. Is this guy like, does he have that type of power and authority? Is this the, is this the one? Now, this man may be desperate, but the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I don't know if he really, like, I think he's just like, I have no other shot. I came all this way. I believe you. So it seems like he's not, he's not in it for all the things that we were wondering if he was. What type of faith does this man show? If we know he's not like the Galileans, can we surmise he's more like the Samaritans? Verse 51, as he was going down, he got a test to see if this thing is legit. As he was going down, if you're wondering why the down is, is because like, you know, where are we? Cana, right? Is elevated, Capernaum's by the sea, he's gotta go down. As he was going down, his servants met him Oh, thank goodness for those servants. And told him that his son was recovering. Now, if this man only went to Jesus to fill his need, he would have just stopped there and said, praise God, I'm going to get on with my life. But it's interesting in verse 52 that he asked them the hour when he began to get better. Why would he ask that if he, care, if he doesn't care? Somewhere in this encounter, something has changed, I think. His questioning to the servants of the details demonstrates the desire to actually know more about this man's identity. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him, that's 1 p.m. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed 
and all his household. If it's true that this man was a Jew, he would have known who this Jesus is representing, who he's revealing. At a moment, he says, go, your son will live, and he's healed. Verse 54, as we close, says this. This is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. It's trying to give you like that little book ends. We call it an inclusio. What is that about? That's like Jesus, like in the same way that I took, I, I did away with the stone water jars for purification externally and replaced it with celebration and joy, symbolizing that you don't have to clean yourself up before God anymore because there is provision made. Now Jesus is saying, in the face and at the brink of death, I am restoring life. At my very word, boom. He's so cool like that. No one else has authority. Like, no, you think a scribe can do that? All the scribe can do is commentate about Jesus. Jesus is like, I don't need a commentator. Let me just show you. It is crazy that Jesus does this. Here at Cana, he undoes sickness and death with restoration in life, snatching life back from the brink of death, as one commentator put it. What does this all mean? What is it about fascination? What is it about desperation? If I can just encourage you guys, for those who maybe it's not the easiest to show that you're hurting or like it's a hard season for you, don't waste your season of desperation. I think the Bible says you're blessed because as Oswald Chambers said in that famous book, Utmost Verse Highest, right? Completely, complete weakness and dependence will always be the occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest his power. You, like, I'm talking to saints here, right? Remember when you first got saved, what the conditions were for that? Was it like, oh, you know, my life is great. I guess I can add Jesus. No. <laughs> like, like, that's not, it's not like a buffet line. Oh, extra gravy. No. It's like, I have nothing. Is there another way? Is there true life in this world? Jesus is like, yes. Will us in this room, for those who are struggling, not waste our desperation. And what I mean by waste is like, you just lose hope. You just fake it so you'd never make it. And that's just what it is. I think the Bible calls you blessed because you're like, you're, you're primed for the Spirit of God to manifest His power in a way that people who have excess will never experience unless we let go. Second thing, for those of us who aren't in that, I, we Bible teachers, we're not trying to create desperation. We don't create. I don't think Jesus is like, be desperate and you're desperate. It's like, I think Jesus is like, I'm trying to show you how desperate the inner condition of your heart is without me every day. I'm trying to reveal and expose it and make you be honest with it. I'm not creating it. And in this man, he is primed and he doesn't waste it. And he goes home, and he tells his family, and they're all saved. And as we contrast that with the fascination of the Jews and the Samaritan woman, the invitation for us is not to waste this, this word. Jesus knows what is at the core of humanity. He, is, he knows what is in man, how. In the same way someone who creates something infinitely knows more deeply than someone who uses their invention, the ins and outs of it. So does Jesus know mankind to the T to every minute detail. And with this knowledge, Jesus wants to know whether we want to truly come to him or just come to him for something else. 
There's a difference between being fascinated from afar and coming to him in sheer desperation. I pray you and I, as saints in Christ, would recognize how deep our need is for Jesus to save us and keep saving us from our old self and to walk in the newness of life that he purchased with his blood, knowing that there's a banquet there waiting for us. Let's pray.